Listener Production. Welcome to Real Crime Features. I'm Adam Shand. This podcast was originally published as part of New South Wales Police State Crime Command. This is episode three of the Mary Wallace investigation. In 2010, the New South Wales coroner referred Robert Adams to the state prosecutors. However, police needed more evidence to charge Adams with murder, Mary's body, or even just a trace of her. And that crucial trace evidence was waiting for investigators in a brown paper bag at a suburban police station. Early on in her investigation, Nicole Jones had called Jim Council, the original detective on the case. She was looking for all the exhibits his team had collected. Well, they should have stayed in the exhibit room at Chatswood, but I think it was only an old house, Chatswood Police Station at that stage, and I think they moved into a newer premises sometime after my retirement. I know most of the exhibits were still retained. Typically, you know, cases like this from such a long time ago, things go missing. And in fact, the cases were found locked and secured in an old police cell all these years later. So it was very fortunate that we were able to find everything intact. It was a massive break in the case to find the exhibits from 1983, correctly stored and logged so they could stand up as evidence at court. Forensic police vacuumed the contents of his boot of that vehicle. And still to this day, this amazes me, but when I reinvestigated this matter, I found the contents of that vacuum cleaner. They had put it in a paper bag, which is perfect for DNA. I didn't have uh, knowledge of DNA in those days, and it was there because I was still hopeful that at some stage we may have found the body and uh, that those exhibits then would become very important. Straight away, I thought, well, there's going to be hair in that, so let's take it to the lab, let's get a scientist to put all these hairs, and you can imagine how many there were, under the microscope. We had Mary Wallace's hairbrush from 1983 when the police did an initial search of her unit. And this became very important because I had a phone call one day saying, look, we've got a match. Visually, it's a perfect match, but obviously you need more than that to convict somebody of murder. In 2013, it was time for Nicole Jones to pass the baton in this investigation. Jones was promoted and moved from homicide, but the case was left in safe hands. My name is Detective Sergeant Julia Bradley uh, with New South Wales Police. In 2011, I transferred to the New South Wales Police Homicide Squad, where I was attached to Strike Force Albumin 2, which was the murder investigation into Mary Wallace. So when I first got to the Homicide Squad in the Unsolved Homicide Unit, I was working with Nicole Jones, a detective um, who I'd previously worked with at Newtown Police Station. When um, Nicole was promoted and transferred from the Homicide Squad, I knew how important this case was to her and I had the same passion to take this matter all the way that we could. Julia Bradley's focus was on the hair. They had a visual match, but a DNA match would remove any doubt that this came from Mary Wallace. So mitochondrial DNA following the female lineage of DNA was not available in New South Wales at that time. 
So we sent the couple of hair samples that we had retained down to the Victorian Police Lab to do a forensic analysis or a mitochondrial DNA analysis and match that with a sample that we had obtained from one of Mary's sisters for mitochondrial DNA. And we finally got a match. I um, had the pleasure of calling Nicole. Nicole Jones again. She called me up and said, we've got the hair, we've got him, let's go and lock him up. Yeah, it was the eureka moment. It was the call from Julia saying we're finally able to go and lock him up. So finally the moment had arrived that we'd been waiting for for so long. We knew that Mary was in that vehicle. Robert Adams put her in that vehicle. Julia Bradley. We got straight on the phone to our DPP solicitor. Uh, They were so happy with the result. They said, press the charge button. Nicole Jones. Not only did we have a hair of Mary Wallace's in the boot, but we also had this other victim that... We did not know prior to this who had, given his registration of the vehicle he drove at the time. So there could be no two ways about it. He was the offender. And then I met with her, got a statement from her, and she went and looked at 20 different photos and she picked him out of the photos from all that time ago. So what was Robert Adams doing at the time? He moved on, he had four boys, and he was just living life as if nothing had happened. The arrest took place on December 20, 2013. It was quite surreal, given that we'd been working on it for quite some time, many, many years, and he was completely unaware. He answered the door and I told him that he was under arrest for the murder of Mary Wallace in 1983. And as you could imagine, you would be quite shocked, but he wasn't. He wasn't shocked. I believe he was just waiting. I believe he was waiting for the police to come around and lock him up. Julia Bradley. He just sort of said, all right, let's get this over and done with. And that was it. This is an electronic record of interview between Detective Senior Constable Nicole Jones and Robert Adams at the Parramatta Police Station. Bob Adams is a bear of a man, heavy set with a long, shaggy beard. He's wearing his favourite beer T-shirt. He looks every inch Bob the Yob, as he's known. He barely acknowledges the police, grunting his answers. There's the microphone there, um, just for the purpose of the recording, if you wouldn't mind um, verbally. Just to ensure that you know your rights and you are here of your free will. I'll just quickly... How was it free will when I was arrested? You don't have to participate in this record of interviews, so I just want you to know that... Well, I won't then. Adams makes to leave gathering up the newspaper that he brought with him, which was surprising as he told police he was illiterate. Okay. Well, the time is now 9.42am. The interview is concluded. With the tape turned off, Adams became more talkative. He wanted to know a lot of information. He wanted to know exactly, in his words, what have you got on me? That's what he said to me. Nicole Jones said she would tell him all he wanted to know if he agreed to a record of interview. His curiosity was piqued. Why were the police talking to him again? Why now? Ten minutes later, the interview resumed. And this is of your own free will? No mm. offer of inducement or anything like that or advantage in participating in this cup of tea. Adams refused legal counsel, as he had at the coroner's inquest. As the interview progressed, he became relaxed. I think with Robert Adams, he had a problem with male police officers. I just don't think that he felt threatened by Julia and I. 
And I just don't think that he thought we were very smart. And then I thought that he thought that he could put one over us um, and that we were just young females that didn't really have much of a brain, that he could really outsmart us. So we just spoke with him. He got comfortable. And then he certainly didn't confess to the murder, but he certainly gave us a version of what had happened. And that version never changed from the time that he gave his initial version to the police in 1983 to Jim Council. His version didn't waver at all. It was the same version. This is audio from a 2013 record of interview between police and Robert Adams. It says here, uh, just tell me if this is accurate. This is the police report, the initial interview in 83. You started kissing Mary Wallace for a while and then took your pants down to your knees and started playing with each other. Do you recall that? Well, we must have... I know we were playing around, but I don't know, you know. And that then you then got on top of her while she was sitting in the passenger seat. Do you remember doing that? Well, if I said it, I must have done it, I, you know. As I said, I can't remember if I had sex or not. Might have gone through the motions, but I don't know. Nothing was happening, nothing was getting raised or whatever. And I just said, uh, let's have a little Do you remember? 40 winks. It says that you then woke up about 5am in your vehicle and that the girl Wallace was missing. Yeah, she'd, she'd gone. He's probably thinking he's going home soon. The cops haven't got a body. There was no witness to the rape and murder of Mary Wallace. They can't touch him. Even in the break after the interview, he said to Julia, once I get over this, once I beat these charges, I'm going to go back to New Zealand. That's where he was originally from, New Zealand, which just kind of gives you a picture of he's not really taking this seriously. He doesn't think that the police have really have anything against him. Little did he know that <laughs> we had compelling evidence against him. Nicole was going to wait until the last moment of this two-hour interview to drop the new evidence. She... Hello? Hello? Yeah, Nicole. Hi, 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 Nicole. Hi,
the hair from the boot matches that of a hairbrush containing a quantity of hair believed to be Mary mm. Wallace's. He sits back, arms folded again. His face reddens. We've also gathered Mary Wallace's sister's DNA and used that in our comparison test as well. He grunts and throws a despairing look down. Given the information that I've just told you, can you give me any explanation as to why Mary Wallace's hair would be in your boot? No. He shakes his head vigorously. Did Mary Wallace get inside your boot? At no, stage? not as far as I know. He settles forward, an elbow on the table, his chin resting on his hand. Nicole Jones and Julia Bradley pause and shuffle some papers. They want him to think for a moment about the weight of what has just been revealed. Adams had disposed of Mary's remains, but not quite completely, and this will be enough to convict him. He stares at the table, deep in thought. Finally, did you kill Mary Wallace? Pardon? Did you kill Mary Wallace? No. Adam seems deflated, even resigned to his fate. So what happens now? After the interview, Adams was remanded in custody. He was given bail ahead of his day in court, which took another three years to come around in September 2016. This time, Adams turned up with his hair and beard neatly trimmed and a lawyer by his side. Mary's parents had long since died, but her sisters attended court every day with Mary's best friend, Pauline Biddle. He was out on bail, so he sort of walked up from the train station like everybody else to go into court at the given time. And he just sat there in his little area with a packet of lollies and doing puzzles. He seemed not disinterested in the whole process. Yeah, I was confident in going into the trial, but you never want to be too confident. You, you never know which way these things can go. I was confident that I had a very strong circumstantial case, but, you know, in the history of, you know, murder cases, homicide cases in this country, there would only be a handful where somebody has been convicted of murder without actually having a body. So this was playing on my mind. Whilst I felt confident in the case and the evidence that we had against him, I've had my concerns... Adams chose to have a judge-only trial, reasoning that his history of sexual violence prior to 1983 would sway a jury to convict him, especially after all the publicity around the case. He would spend $800,000 on his defence, and still he went down. Nicole Jones was sitting with the DPP solicitor as the judgment was given. And the judge began to read out the verdict. Victoria and I grabbed each other's hands and we were squeezing it in anticipation and suspense, and then the judge read out the verdict of guilty. I've never felt so much elation. I've just felt an incredible amount of pressure lift from my shoulders, and I just felt that finally we'd actually done this after all this time, and I believe it was seven years after I first commenced this investigation. Seven years later, um, we, had, we finally had a verdict. Justice had been done. Adams was sentenced to 20 years in prison with a non-parole period of 15 years. He will be eligible for parole in June 2031. He continues to protest his innocence and has now exhausted every avenue of appeal, all the way to the High Court. Now 68 years of age, 
Adams is in poor health and is not doing well in jail. He faces the prospect of dying there as his wife and four children go on without him. He was invited to reveal where he disposed of Mary Wallace's remains. He might have been home earlier had he done so, but Adams has declined all offers. Can you give me any explanation as to where she is? No. None whatsoever. I've got no idea if I you, I'd tell you. Yeah. Pauline Biddle. There's been no memorial service, no burial or cremation. So where is Mary? And, and for her family, especially her mum and dad, who were lovely, to go to their graves without even knowing is just a tragedy. Let's make a timeline to understand what opportunities Adams had to conceal Mary's body. Nicole Jones. If you're going to accidentally kill somebody, and I believe that it was probably done by accident as a result of offending and committing a sexual assault, then it's not like he's thought this out and where's he going to put a body? How's he going to dispose of a body? So it had to be somewhere that he knew well. In 1983, on the weekend in question, at 4am Saturday, Adams leaves the Alpine Inn with Mary. The story he gave us that after he woke up, he went back home. I think he said he had a couple of drinks and then he went to a champagne breakfast at St Leonard's to a friend of his named Duke. This was now 7am. It appeared that Mary had been dead for three hours by this time. And he drank there for about two hours and then fell asleep on the backyard until around midday and then went back home. And it was important that we interviewed those people that were at that particular party to verify his story, which we did. So, Adams had only a few hours of darkness to get rid of Mary's corpse. Council believes that he looked for an opportunity close at hand. There was a lot of high-rise buildings under construction in the Chatswood area and in those days they didn't fence them off like they do now and I've often thought, even though I've got no evidence to support this, I thought he may have put her in one of those big rubbish dumpers that they have on building sites, covered her over and he may have been just lucky he was never seen. It's, of course, possible that Adams didn't dump the body straight away and drove around on Saturday afternoon with Mary in the boot while he decided what to do. He was at home at his flat until the evening. He got tied up with a woman that lived across the road from where he lived and they ended up going to the hotel and coming back to Adams' place and he had sex with her that night. Another woman? Oh, he, he was a mad sexo. A few days later, one of Adam's flatmates saw him meticulously cleaning out his car in a way he never had before. Well, she said she saw him wash the seat covers in the washing machine, which was in the kitchen of the unit, and uh, she saw that he opened all the doors on the boot door and was hosing water into the boot. Nicole Jones believes the burial site was in the Lane Cove National Park, and Mary is still there despite extensive searches. The day before Mary Wallace went missing, Robert Adams had been working in the Lane Cove National Park building an observation deck and there were 26 holes, big holes that had been dug by Robert Adams and his team in the Lane Cove National Park because on the Monday the concrete truck was going to meet them there and fill these holes with concrete. 
So we actually found concrete receipts that the concrete had in fact been poured and Robert Adams had met the truck there. So that would be something of significance um, and we believe that perhaps Mary was in one of these holes. So she went missing on the Saturday morning and he had worked in the observation deck on the Friday afternoon and the concrete truck arrived on the Monday. So it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility that she could in fact be in there covered over with dirt and then perhaps on the Monday he was the one that met the truck there and the concrete went in the holes and that was the end of it. The police at the time did have a look at this particular area and they used a cadaver dog um, and metal probing rods to, to see whether the dog picked up on any scent. The dog didn't, but when I re-looked at this matter some years later, I thought it would be worth certainly getting a, a geophysicist to go over that particular area and to excavate that area. So that's what we did. We had a geophysicist flown from Queensland. He conducted an examination of that particular area and we excavated it painstakingly over a number of days. We pulled out the concrete pylons and had a look to see whether there were any kind of trace of Mary Wallace in them. Unfortunately, there was none. Crushing moment, but then again, it would almost be too obvious to put somebody in there. In saying that, I believe that Mary's remains were put in the Lane Cove National Park somewhere. He knew that park like the back of his hand and certainly from all accounts, he worked there for quite some time and it just made sense. Unless somebody had actually pointed out a particular area of where they've put a body, it'd be very, very difficult to find it. So I still believe that she probably is buried within the Lone Cove National Park somewhere. Unfortunately, Robert Adams is still saying that he's innocent. He's never admitted killing Mary Wallace and he won't give up where he's put her. Police learned of another possible burial site from an anonymous letter received in November 1983. The note said Mary Wallace was buried under a rock in St Ives Chase Park by Cowan Creek, half an hour's drive north from where Mary was last seen. A map torn from a street directory was marked with crosses along a stretch of the creek and the author nominated an area, quote, let's say one kilometre long by 60 metres wide. The search area was 60,000 square metres. I read somewhere that there was a four-and-a-half-hour search. There was tactical response group, plus homicide detectives went down there. But it was a big area, rugged country, very hard to see even where to start. I mean, you're talking a very big area, even though you'd narrowed it down. Yes. I was not involved in the actual search, but I certainly know that the search was done as thoroughly as it could be at the time. What did you conclude, having done the searches, analysed the material... What did you conclude about the validity of this information? Well, I kept an open mind, but I really didn't form too much any sort of definite opinion because obviously someone has written it that had some knowledge of the area and some knowledge of Adams, I would think. I visited the site highlighted in that letter recently, and I can see why police decided it was unlikely that Adams had disposed of Mary's body here. There are probably easier places to get rid of a corpse. You can see why the police didn't know where to start, really, because it is a vast piece of country and it's got plenty of overhangs and nooks and crannies. You could hide an army down here, really. Looked a bit easier on the map, I have to tell you. Just a simple little cross-hatched section on the Cowan Creek, but, I mean, you've got a steep, steep 
climb down to the creek. If you're carrying a body, how are you going to do that? One of the things to remember, of course, is that Robert Adams probably didn't intend to kill Mary Wallace. He was wanting to rape her and unfortunately he killed her in the act. So he wasn't prepared to bury a body. You wouldn't be driving around with a, a shovel or other implements. You wouldn't have a place picked out. I mean, this would be a great place, but at 4.30 in the morning, are you really gonna be plunging down this slope with a body over your shoulder? If someone was playing a hoax, well, they'd be laughing, seeing a whole squad of police barreling down this slope and finding nothing, of course. So you can well believe that it was just a hoax. Some believe that Adams himself wrote that note in a moment of drunken remorse or in an effort to mislead the investigation. As we know, there was a second note sent to police in February 1984. This one was addressed to Jim Council and was written in a strange scrawl. It's very poor handwriting and in fact it looked like somebody had potentially used their other hand to disguise their handwriting. The letter had information not yet known to the public, leading some to believe Adams had written the note himself. Nicole Jones disagrees. We tried to get DNA and fingerprints from the, the letter and that was without success. We also tried to get DNA from the envelope where it was sealed and that was unsuccessful as well. It was quite a high profile case at the time. Uh, it got a lot of media coverage and I believe that somebody just was playing a prank and thought it would be funny or difficult to change the direction of the police investigation by sending in an, a letter like this. I think that's what happened. Somebody had just decided to play a prank and, and send in a, a red herring to the police to put us off the investigation. Julia Bradley is not so sure of this and believes Adams was the author. Gut feeling is, is that that particular letter, I believe, was authored by Mr Adams himself and that's mainly to do with the remorse that he seems to have, which not a bad characteristic to have, and he certainly has displayed it over the years, in, especially with some of his convictions, not this particular conviction, unfortunately. Uh, he has been approached a number of times to tell us where the body has been placed. Unfortunately, he has declined to assist us with those inquiries. Nicole Jones. I will always have in the back of my mind that I've not really completed what I set out to do because I've never found Mary Wallace's body. And if there's anything that you ever want to do for the family of a, a murder victim, it is just to bring them closure. And the only way you can really do that is by finding their loved one who disappeared under these circumstances. And I was never able to do that despite long searches, excavating national parks. I've never found the remains of Mary Wallace. So it's it's not quite finished yet. There will be people out there who will know something and could potentially still assist us. I don't believe Robert Adams will ever give up the location of where he put Mary Wallace's body. It's the last bit of power that he has. It's all he has left, really. He, he was convicted of 20 years imprisonment. So he's an old man. He's never going to get out. He will die in jail. But it's the last bit of power that he has. So I don't think he will give it up. In fact, I've visited him in jail and I asked him, I said to him, you're not going anywhere. You're going to die in jail. And I asked him where he put the body and he said to me, Nicole, if I knew who'd killed Mary Wallace, I would tell you so I could get out of here. So he's still... <laughs> claiming that he's innocent. Jones suspects that Adams fears the judgment of his family if he confesses. 
The unconditional love of his family has allowed him to dissociate from what he did all those years ago. His family spent $800,000 trying to prove Adam's innocence. Perhaps if he were to reveal the location of the body, this would be a betrayal of those who've stuck by him. His family have been very supportive of him and if he gives it up now, then all he has is his family left. I believe they visit him in jail. So, you know, it's not really in his best interest to come clean, really, is it? Adams once actually wrote to Mary's family. He actually wrote a letter to the family and basically said in the letter that he was sorry for the loss of Mary Wallace. He admits that he was with Mary at the time and he just wished that he knew what had happened with her and who who was the actual offender. But, I mean, I wasn't going to entertain that and the family had been through enough hurt they didn't need to to see this letter and I, I never showed them so if there was ever one thing that I could do to help them that would be to find the body of Mary Wallace to find her remains and to give her back to her family got any more leads I don't but I'm uh, always open to any suggestions <laughs> good <laughs> and Adam's health is failing he's getting on in age and he was never a picture of health particularly through the trial so yeah, look, I don't think he's having a great time in jail, um, but, you know, that's that's um, the consequences of your actions. But the fact of it remains that he was just never going to admit to it, and still to this day he still proclaimed his innocence. What could we do for him? Look, I'm not sure what we could do for him, although given that he is diagnosed as a psychopath, I'd imagine there would need to be something in it for him in order for him to give us um, where he put Mary Wallace. I've tried to reason with him. I've tried to, you know, I've tried every way with Robert Adams to try and get him to tell us what had actually happened and he's not going to budge. But you know what, I'm sure that we will find Mary Wallace one day. She's out there. I believe that she's probably in the Lane Cove National Park somewhere. It's a very big area. It would be like searching a needle in a haystack kind of scenario to find the remains all these years later. But it just makes sense that she's there, given what I know of the investigation and and the circumstances at the time. So, look, I think one day we will come across her remains. These things happen, and from time to time, bones resurface. So, you know, I've got no doubt in my mind that at some stage they will probably resurface, and hopefully, you know, that will be at a time when we can give closure to the family. Jim Council is not sure that Mary will be found anytime soon. He is grateful to have lived long enough to see Robert Adams behind bars. Yeah, well, it was quite satisfying. The unfortunate part about it was that the parents of Mary Wallace were deceased at the time and they weren't there to uh, have knowledge of what happened and that perhaps did dampen the uh, result a little bit. But having said that, he's in his right place. Do you think he'll ever reveal where the body is? Well, I'm fairly certain he won't. This investigation continues. Mary Louise Wallace should never be forgotten. She, um, you know, laughed a lot. People warmed to Mary. You could see even through her short life, she had such a big group of friends. No matter what, where she went or who she met, people would just stick by her. She was that sort of girl. Nicole Jones and the Unsolved Homicide Squad are grateful to the witnesses who stuck by Mary and gave fearless testimony to the court about what her killer had done to them. 
these are such brave women, such strong women. I have just such admiration for them to do what they did. It wasn't for them. They weren't doing this for anyone other than Mary Wallace. They all banded together and, you know, we provided them with as much support as we could. But, geez, it was hard to watch. I've got to say, on a couple of occasions, watching the defence lawyers cross-examine these women was very hard to watch because I believed in them. I do believe in them. I know what had happened and to watch them be cross-examined over these matters um, was very hard to watch. I wanted to put him behind bars because I was 100% convinced that he was the murderer of Mary Wallace. And I also wanted him to be put behind bars because he is traumatised all these women that he sexually assaulted over the years. He was never held to account. If you can help bring Mary home for the funeral that she deserves, please call Crime Stoppers on 1800 000 or contact your local police station. All information will be treated as strictly confidential. State Crime Command is produced in collaboration with the New South Wales Police Force and Real Crime Australia. Written and produced by Adam Shand. Executive producer, Grant Tothill. Original music and mixing by Matt Nikolic. The associate producer is Sarah Grinberg. Research by Nolly Wei Shand. Digital producer, Jack Shand. Listener.